That sounds great. I am going to start recording. Uh, wait, did we actually start? No, I, I can't understand what we just did. Did we start recording or not? Um, I'm recording myself. Oh, nice. Okay. Then I guess we're recording. Yeah. Far out. So we did our, um, our syncing, and now we're recording a new episode of Bookworm Games. This time, it's a special occasion, joined by... Chris and Eric from the Retrograde Amnesia podcast. Um, we are all in different places. Is that right? You guys are kind of close, but not quite in the same place for a change. Um, where are y'all located? We are in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. We live about, oh, uh, what would you say, Eric? Uh, six minutes away from each other? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're actually, it's very convenient for us to record in the same place, but when we're recording Skype calls, it's actually better if we recorded our own uh, houses yes as per the sinking right and uh this episode uh comes at an interesting juncture in the game i think you guys are both just about done with disc one just starting disc two is that right yeah yes. we're done with disc one our our weekly release schedule just kind of hit the men of the sea episode nice. uh, but is in, yeah. in terms of what we've actually played we're through disc one yeah Wesley, I just listened to your last podcast, and it's also at the end of disc one, right? Yeah, that's what I have released so far. I've played on, like, I couldn't stop, because disc two, I know a lot of people have a lot of problems with it, and I can see those issues. Um, it's weird, but to me, it's it's catnip. Like, I love disc <laughs> two of Xenogears. I don't know why. I don't know it, what it I, is. I think, I, I, maybe I'm speaking for only myself, but I'm a sort of... Uh, I'm sort of excited about getting to this too, just because it's going to be this weird change of pace. And I'm curious about how it's going to influence our conversations going forward, just because the, the gameplay goes down and the lore goes up. So like what's going to happen along the way is going to be interesting in terms of how it frames our conversations going forward. Yeah. Do you uh, remember it at all, Eric? I, I remember the structure of it and I, I, I remember a lot of the lore, but I don't remember necessarily a lot of the, okay. uh, the moment to moment beats. Gotcha. Yeah. Wesley, when I listen to your podcast, I feel like I should be sitting around a campfire listening to someone tell stories, which is a little bit kind of like the structure of Disc 2. So I think that is probably a, not that Disc 1 isn't a good fit, but Disc 2 might be a really good fit. It is a disc after my own heart. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, man. Um, and I was deprived of campfires as a kid. Honestly, I didn't do enough of that kind of storytelling. And I, I, I feel like that's a really great compliment. I don't know that I deserve it. Um, because I feel like I'm the guy who's like interrupting the story to like try to explain or clarify things constantly, and that you don't want to be that guy, right? No. Um, so what? So what you need to do is we, we need we need to get with you and and show you how to add like a a, a campfire sound in the background <laughs> of your of your conversations, and and yeah. I think we'll capture that. Yeah. So I was I was talking just before this with you guys about how your show is like a real show. You have like audio, and you like have viewer participation or listener participation, I guess, in the case of the podcast, right? Um, and it's it's awesome. Um, it's a great, great show. So anyone who hasn't listened to it, go find it, Retrograde Amnesia. Um, and I, I found it just searching, I guess, like Xenogears podcast or something. So I want to see what was already out there. And um, I, I think we started probably around the same time, actually, um, but, uh, but like I said, you guys have made a bigger production of it um, in some ways. And um, I was just curious, like, 
what what made you decide to do that like to to sink all the time and and effort and energy into playing and talking about Sino Gears again so I, I think my my first memory of meeting Eric this was what what uh, how old are we 30, 30 it's uh, literally 20 years ago this month oh sh- yeah Eric has a weird uh, memory with dates but yeah <laughs> my uh has <laughs> an excellent memory with dates yeah, uh, excellent is probably the, the better word there. But I, the first thing I remember was like we were working at a grocery store pu- pushing carts, like pu- pu- pushing carts up to the front of the store. And I was talking to another guy about Xenogears, or as we pronounced it back then, Xenogears. But we were, and then Eric was sort of like 15 feet away from me. And he, he looked at me and he goes, Yeah, Xenogears. And then our friendship <laughs> sort of like began. And so. <laughs> I, I think I, I want to say the like the origin of this podcast started. Uh, Eric, correct me if I'm wrong. Like we were having like a weird Twitter conversation during like the uh, the rebirth of the Evangelion discourse from this past yeah. summer. Evangelion came out, and I was listening to a podcast called Sync Ratios, which was started by two old buddies. Uh, they were in their late 30s as well, who had watched Evangelion as teenagers, and were talking about how to accept it as an adult. Uh, and I think I mentioned something about that on Twitter to Chris, and I think he said half jokingly, "Let's start a giant podcast about Xenogears." <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, haha, that's funny. We'll do it." And then like the Twitter thread just kind of kept spiraling out of control with ideas. Yeah. <laughs> Once we had a name for it, it was it was pretty much all over with. Like, yeah, yeah. I, Eric was like, "I will 100% do this," and I was like, "Hmm, I, there, there's no reason not to do this, right? Because we can do it in the evenings when our families are like asleep or or busy. So uh, I mean, let's it, do it." Yeah, it's a strange idea to just kind of BS around Twitter and then try to figure it out. But then, you know, we're sinking like 10 or 15 hours a week into this thing, which yeah. if you had asked me that last summer, do I have time for that? Absolutely not. But now I, that I enjoy the process and I enjoy replaying this game and I enjoy somehow spending four hours editing dumb sound effects in a podcast, like it <laughs> it kind of took on a life of its own. I, no, I think that, the... Go ahead, yeah. Oh, I was going to say, the, the, the thing that happened, I remember when we were sort of just trying to plan this out and figure out what kind of equipment we needed and all that kind of stuff, I, I, uh, I drove over to Eric's, Eric's house and uh, rang the doorbell. He answered the door, and, and I said, you realize if I walk into your house right now, there is no turning back at this point. And he was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. there is no turning back. So, uh, yeah, here we are. Yeah, that's, that's the point we're at, right, where it's, you'd be missing something in your life if you weren't putting all this time and energy into playing Xenogears and talking about it and um, and talking about talking about it at this point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, seriously, if you have somebody that lives down the street from you that wants to talk about Xenogears for like four or five hours, you know, uh, every every week, then uh, <laughs> why not, right? Oh I mean, my gosh, what I wouldn't give to have somebody like that, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're definitely lucky. On a somewhat deeper level, it's also like an interesting exploration to see if something that mattered to you a whole lot when you were a teenager and most of the wider world was a new thing to see if that can still reflect as an adult after you have these life experiences and see if any of this stuff still penetrates into your psyche. Yeah, absolutely. And it does. I, is what I found. I, and I think that was your original tweet, Eric. You, you were wondering if, if, um, Evangelion had been your formative yeah, robot I fiction. See, I didn't see that when I was younger. Yeah. And, and so you wondered if like, what your life would be like if Evangelion was your formative mecha fiction versus Xenogears, and that's what spawned our original conversation that got here. And life is weird, right? Yeah. Do, uh, it, do you ahead. think um, is is it possible to compare formative life experiences? Like by its very nature, doesn't that seem sort of 
like you you get the one um, and then other people have theirs and so you can only sort of see them from the standpoint that you're at um, like I don't know anything about Evangelion I know it's pretty a big deal or whatever but um, I've never seen it like not as a kid not as a grown-up um, and so I couldn't I feel like I couldn't possibly understand that if I watched it now um, being where I am like I think there is something that is privileged about you know a formative uh, artistic or whatever kind of experience um, and I'd be curious to hear if if you have experienced both of them or like you know something else in that same kind of ballpark like how does Xeno Gears hold up um, with respect to other similar mecha epic stories and and so on chris has the brain that was exposed to high levels of anime radiation when he was a teenager so i think yeah. he'd be best equipped to to deal with this one well high, high levels is a relative term like i know there are other people out here that are, that, that are bigger chris uh, you you imported vhs tapes yeah that's true damn it okay yeah so i i think that Looking back on it now, this is especially true. Looking back on it now, like at the time, I didn't realize this, but 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 Xenogears is definitely like a a culmination of all of the mecha fiction that had sort of permeated Japanese culture at the time in which it came out. Like Evangelion was big. I think it was ninety six ish, and and sometimes people compare the two, but I think the real sort of patient zero for for evangelion is gundam like a lot of, a lot of its yeah. plot structures are you you can you, you can kind of pin back towards gundam gotcha gotcha i have seen some maybe not the original gundam but um that was one that was on like cartoon network at one point one of the yeah. versions of gundam so i did i did get to see some of that and i had friends who were super into it and uh yeah i don't know like i always liked xeno gears better i guess like how does how does xeno gears compare well, so the the, the, the trope, the, the big robot trope, which yeah. I think people call it, like, nowadays they call it getting the robot Shinji, which is, I think, literally a line that is uttered to Ikari Shinji in, in Evangelion by his father to say, just get in this damn robot because you're the one that's destined to pilot. Okay. That, that that actually goes back to Amuro Ray from the original Gundam, the ni 1979 original series, where... Amuro literally fell into the cockpit of the Gundam and found the instruction manual and figured out how to operate it. And it seemed as if it was like some sort of inkling of, of his particular uh, destiny, so to speak. But the reality was is that he was a special version of, an, of evolved humans called new types. And you can very, very clearly see that with Faye, how he is sort of just beckoned to get in the Veltal at some point, and then yeah. that sort of becomes the destiny that, that executes upon, like, you know, the very the system of Xenogears, so to speak. And all, all a lot of that goes back to Gundam. A lot of the a lot of the conflicts feel like they're from Gundam. Like, even, like, the Ramses Faye conflict feels almost like the Amuro Ray uh, Shar conflict from the original Gundam. It's, it, there, there's just a lot of things that I, I'm like, oh, okay, I see that now as I'm going back through the game now here 20 years later. Cool. Yeah, I wish I had that background. And I wish constantly that I knew just more about Japanese culture in general when I am trying to like analyze what's going on in these games. Um, so, yeah, so what does one do with a, um, a destiny to be in a giant robot? Like, what's that supposed to be saying, I guess? Like, uh, is that our version of being consumed by the internet and... Um, 
you know, media and stuff like that? Is it something more literally about like we're going to end up in a giant conflagration um, because of giant robot love or something like that eventually? I, I um, think just think? I think there's two things. The first thing is you're gonna you need to sell some toys, uh, <laughs> and the and the second thing you need to do is that you need to uh, you need to sort of ascend to this the, this plane to where you have become sort of this enlightened warriors where you're going to defeat the bad guy and then the good guys are going to win like that that's how Gundam ended and it eventually like evolved to something a little bit different that had a little bit of different things to say but. Uh, I, I think that's sort of the thing. Like you achieve your destiny and you sort of ascend beyond the bad guys because you you sort of learn your truths through 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 the the act of piloting the robot. And and right about the time Xenogears was probably being written and developed, like Evangelion sort of turned that on its head. And then I think that's kind of why we got at least partially why we got Xenogears because it kind of turned the 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 destiny thing on its head and said okay you're you're this isn't really your this isn't literally your destiny this is just you're part of a system and and, and you should be here because the system says that you should be here i really like the idea of drawing a line between being consumed by the internet and being consumed by a giant robot because it both gives its the person that gets in it kind of limitless power that they're going to direct at some target that doesn't necessarily exist but they're going to focus all their energy on it anyway and the responsibility that comes with that can lead to a sense of detachment where your actions don't necessarily have meaning because oh that wasn't me that was the robot or that wasn't me that was my twitter handle that yelled at the local <laughs> newscaster for two hours <laughs> i have been there done that i i like studiously avoid using twitter um let's let's go down that road just briefly here if twitter is the giant robot like what's the end game there what's the solution how do we um avoid desert despair and similar chapters oh man because i'll say this i mean like i found you guys because of the internet like i i can find out lots of cool stuff because the internet and meet lots of cool people i i like it in that respect and and i see that you know insofar as you know we've got these giant robots we've got to use them against the bad guys like you're saying like sure um, i, I think i think we yeah. talked about this on our on our most recent recording, I mean, this episode won't be released probably till June, but we record when we were recording sort of the, uh, I guess during the outro or something, we, we were kind of joking about how we had found a nice place on the internet where, uh, we, we, we have this, you know, we're on Patreon. I'm not trying to plug myself now here, but we're on, we're on Patreon and we have every time we release an episode, we have a handful of like, you know, three to five people that come on and just kind of stream of consciousness, their thoughts out there on in, in the comments section yeah. and oftentimes these people are sort of more well read or at least have been thinking about xenogears more consistently than we have so they their, their knowledge is better than ours at this point in time but they're super nice about it like they're not they're not condescending about the fact that we may have got something wrong or <laughs> analyzed something incorrectly they're like they're great and i'm like oh okay wait hold on time out like this version of the internet that i thought was going going to be the the final truth when i you know, when I first got on the internet, when I was when I was in seventh grade, is now like a, partially a reality in this small community of like twenty eight people. Okay, right. cool, we're good with that. So I think, like, <laughs> to answer your original question, our, our our sort of giant robot experience, the perfect giant robot is kind of hard to find out out there on the internet, just because of sort of the 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 crud that you have to to wade through to 
to, to get to it. But I guess uh, the moral of the story is that it can be found. Yeah, it's important to kind of explore the idea that Chris and I, despite playing Xenogears when it came out, we're still kind of visitors in that world. And a lot of yeah. the people that listen to our podcast have been indulged in it for a very long time. And they've, like Chris said, they've been kind of very surprisingly accepting and welcoming as opposed to the kind of weird gatekeeping standoffish community you can see on many corners of the internet. Sure. Yeah, no, I, I feel that I, like I've tried reading around and seeing what's out there. Like I said, um, uh, there's that great, you know, study guide, um, mm -hmm. by AC yes. and I, I've talked to him a couple of times. He's a really cool, really kind and very, very knowledgeable, um, Xenogears fan and, and dude. And, um, there's also a few like, really popular YouTube videos, actually. Um, so, you know, and they're like, well produced and interesting and stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know quite how to, um, how to get the right balance, I guess, between like, yeah, information and the emotion that you got to kind of balance it with um, the, uh, the welcomingness versus the like, you're, you're sort of speaking a, a selective language too, right? A special language at a certain point. And so there's a kind of automatic um, uh, limitation there on who can, who can get in with that. So like, when you guys think about your audience, like, is it just for fans of the game? Is it really a way to um, like, think about some bigger themes and, and through, through this game? Um, what's your, what's your thoughts on that? We did think about that from the inception, like regarding it's kind of like a special club where like when when I met Chris, he probably said the words Fei Fong Wong out loud and then I made eye contact and there's kind of like a look of recognition there. <laughs> so I think you try to recreate that experience with people online and yeah. we made it we made a decision to kind of like Chris and I know most of the spoilers for this game, but we're kind of playing dumb when yeah. we do the podcast so that people who are just getting into it for the first time can use it as like a play along type thing. Yes. And then I think we also used it um, as a substitute for a let's play. Like, let's say you have uh, a job that matters that you work at a long time. and don't have time to play this 21 year old PS one 60 hour RPG <laughs> listening to our podcast and all the sound effects and all the music we put in it could maybe get you 65% of the way there. Oh yeah. Yeah, I think uh, th there's another podcast that I found recently. I haven't had a chance to listen to, to too much of it, but it's called, uh, I think it's called like Square Roots, where they kind of do a similar thing to what we're doing, where they're great just name. playing. Yeah, it is a great name. Uh, they, they play JRPGs, but I, I, I was listening to one of their episodes, and they, they, they joked that their podcast is a, a let's play for your ears. And uh, yeah. I, I think that's kind of what we are, too, without, like, we didn't realize it. We didn't realize that it was going to be that when we started it but it, it, it's an opportunity I, I think like our community especially like there's old heads like us who like played it a long time ago they just kind of want to relive it or replay it with us and there's and there's people like we've, we've met some very interesting people in the speedrunning community that engage with this game in like a totally different way like they have encyclopedic knowledge of the game obviously and love it but they have decided to engage with the game in a way that is totally different than the, the way that we engage with the game where we're looking at the story and the characters and the moments they're looking at like how can we sort of break this game mathematically so that we can get through it as, as fast as possible and that community is super interesting and, and, and those people have been really helpful in helping us uh, understand certain things about the game uh, you've got people like that are into like the, the, the fandom element who like to write yeah. fan fiction or like to engage with 
with with the characters. Those people are awesome. And my personal favorite like uh, subset of people that we've met along here are the younger Xenoblade fans who oh. who are like in their in their eighteen in their like like eighteen, nineteen, twenty year old uh, people who have decided like, oh, I love Xenoblade. I loved playing Xenoblade on the Wii when I when I was growing up, or I loved playing Xenosaga, and I've gone back to engage with Xenogears to kind of see the lineage of that. Like the fact that that those people have have gone back to engage with Xenogears, a game that we grew up with, is like I mean I mean, this sounds sappy, but it warms my heart. It warms my cold yeah. dead heart, you know? Like <laughs> like these people are going back to engage with old video games in a way that like, you know, I, I Eric and I, I don't know how old you are, Wesley, but like I assume you're about our age, right? So Yeah, I'm like early thirties. Okay, yeah. So like you you didn't really have the opportunity when you were younger, when you were in your twenties, to necessarily go back and engage with a video game that was anything more than, than just something that was like mechanical, like an old Mario or something sure, like that. Like yeah, yeah. Yeah. So being able to go back and engage with, with older RPGs like like Final Fantasy Six and um and, and Final Fantasy or in Xenogears is, is amazing. I mean I, I saw one of our of our followers earlier, uh, I think his name on Twitter is like Kazena or something like that. He's, I think he's about twenty years old, and I saw him earlier say that Final Fantasy VI was was the best Final Fantasy, and I was like, you know, that that's a subjective statement, but I was like, you, you're twenty years old, you said that, I want to adopt you right now, please, come on, sign the papers, <laughs> let's go, dude. Yeah, I, I think about this a lot in terms of um, education, actually. Like, part of the role of a of a teacher is to sort of pass on something from the past. To the next generation right and um i think very soon we're going to see video games being one of those things like you know like books like songs like whatever yeah you, you might like that, that gets passed on in a kind of semi-formal way right now well, it's eric, not formal at all right it's the wild west but eric you know a guy who does that right nathan yes uh nathan stevens at the university of kentucky teaches a video game history course Whoa! I gotta, I gotta get in touch with that guy. You gotta send me his contact info. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you want to have a conversation with him, I'm sure he'd be open to it. He's talked to a lot of people about that stuff and is happy to get the word out. Yeah. Yeah. That. So I'm fascinated by the idea of studying games, and I think it's because, um, although there weren't necessarily that many older games at the time, there were, you know, very explicit allusions that Xenogears makes to old stories and old myths, even. Um, and you guys have talked about this a bit in your um, your discussions of um, like the from the very opening um, you know sequence. Yeah, uh, we get some pretty heavy uh, outright quotations and allusions um, to biblical material. And um, I'm curious, like, yeah, what do you? Do? I feel like there's a few different ways you can go with that. What do you guys make of that? I think mostly. Our original intention was to try to look at that and separate what are they using for intention and what are they just referencing because they think it's cool to reference. And trying to figure out how like how much <clears throat> excuse me, how much young is put in here, how much of the Bible is put in here, how much are they citing some Gnostic texts? Uh, I don't know that we're necessarily great at figuring that out, but I think sometimes Chris and I have kind of identified what works and what doesn't. Like wasn't uh, Chris, wasn't Old Man Ball's speech in the Stalactite Cave? Wasn't didn't that dip heavily into Gnostic stuff? It, it I think the uh, the Balthazar speech in the Stalactite Cave. I think it mostly references like the Gnostic interpretation of the creation story. 
whereas the like the serpent is not Satan, but the serpent is a form of wisdom, and that the the particular form of wisdom in Xenogears is like the wisdom to build giant robots, which is kind of a weird thing, but but nonetheless, it was like I, that may have been like the first hint outside of the the introductory anime sequence, like that may have been the first hint that like this game is sort of built around a sort of an export of a, a of a Gnostic system. Yeah, I really, yeah, I really appreciated your discussion of the, um, I think it was in the, the episode where you guys get to um, Nissan and the yeah. cathedral there. You, you did a pretty nice uh, exegesis of some of the Gnostic themes um, illustrated there. Uh, I, I'm not familiar with that stuff really at all. Like I have tried reading Young once or twice um, and not gotten very far. I've I've never really found a good resource to, um, because it's so like esoteric, right? By its nature, yeah. You're not, like you, it's not easy to find stuff about this. So, where do you get your uh, your Gnostic wisdom if you if you wouldn't be too um, shy about telling us? I, well, the the weird thing about reading about Gnosticism is like there are so many different versions of that. that there's not yeah. really like you can't create a map to like a one to one map from Xenogears to any sort of particular gnostic text but you can kind of read about it at like the uh the wikipedia level i guess you could say and like okay, sort of enough. like try to try, try to map it back um there's one book that i read years ago and, and i believe that i read this book like because of because of xenogears and, or nice. maybe because of xenosaga because i got it i got heavily into that when that first came out but there's a there's a book called the gnostic gospel <clears throat> excuse me by the uh, called the gnostic gospels by elaine pagels uh, which sort of just discusses the Gnostic, some of the the the, I I think we refer to them in our podcast as the the deleted scenes from the Bible, which okay. which sort of like take this this different approach to uh, explaining the the Christian tradition. And important to note that Eric and I were both raised Catholic, so like to see yeah. an alternate version of that like was very interesting to me, especially in my like my early twenties. So I started reading about that, and and I still have that book today, and I, I sort of reference in every now and then but like you know specifically the the conversation about the nissan cathedral is like is is interesting because i think it's very easily it's, it's very easy to, to to map that to like the the anima and the animus stuff from young which i don't totally understand but i know that is a is a thing but as i started reading about a little bit more about gnosticism like i, I started to map it in my in my mind to the the idea of of a Gnostic Aeon, which is like, I think is like a, an emanation of God, sort of like an angel. Okay. And, and those things break up into things called syzygies, which is a, a word I had to try to practice to, to say many times when we, when we recorded that podcast, uh, <laughs> check out the outtakes if you want to hear me mess that up. But, but, um, like that was like the Christ and the Sophia yeah. were like two, two sort of, uh, components of the Aeon. And like once the, once those things sort of uh, become one again, they can sort of ascend beyond the uh, the the false god of the, uh, of the demiurge, and that 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 that's a very potent thing. Like I think even Satan, Satan, if you want to pronounce it correctly, because we pronounce it incorrectly, but Satan uh -huh. um, says like the, the path between those two angels is like where we can advent towards God or something like that. Yes, I'm, not quote, right. I'm not quoting it exactly, but like he, 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 that, that quote exactly like makes me sort of map that towards the, 
the Gnostic system. And, and the real weird thing about that is like, I mean, this game is, is uh, we, we know from interviews and whatnot that like Tetsuya Takahashi was heavily influenced and, and heavily leaned upon his, his reading of, of like classic science fiction, Arthur C. Clarke yeah, yeah. to be, to be specific. So like his, his understanding of things or his like, I mean, Krillian himself is, is just a, almost a complete export of, 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 Karelin from 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 childhood's end, but like, there's a moment and and I, I I've been saving this for our podcast, but like I'm gonna I'm gonna say it now too. Uh, th- there, there's a moment in in um in childhood's end where I think it's like sort of after the 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 major reveal of like what the overlords are and and, and who are these aliens that are trying to guide humanity towards uh, towards this ascendant state. Mm-hmm. So like, there's a moment in which like. They hum, humanity realizes that like most of their religions were were flat out just wrong about things. Like, with I think the book says like with the exception of like uh, certain elements of Buddhism, I think is the way the the um, the book phrases it. But 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 the funny thing about Xenogears is like once you kind of get to the end of the game, and this is I'm going completely from memory and like some scenes that I kind of still have burning my brain. But like once you get to the point later in the game when things become become apparent like you realize that like one of the religions in xenogears got everything right yeah and that that's a complete contrast to the way childhood's end is and i just think that like the the building the structure of the story around the gnostic system and then sort of turning it on its head a little bit late in the game is 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 is, i mean i i don't know if it's brilliant but it's kind of awesome at least in terms of the way you digest this thing oh agreed yeah thoughts on that uh, while Chris was speaking, I was looking up, trying to figure out the name of a book that I also wanted to reference, which was The Great Mother, which goes through the round of female archetypes being Mary, Isis, Lilith, uh, Callie, and finally Sophia. And I wouldn't have brought that up if not for the author of the book. His first name, it's, his name's Eric Newman, but it's I know that guy. Yeah, E-R-I-C-H, yeah. which is Ellie's father's name. Whoa. So okay, I, I had not made that like connection. A, That's great. Yeah. I didn't know if that was a direct reference or not, but I was just, I was kind of flipping through this, trying to reference it. And we just played that section recently. So I, I don't like E-R-I-C-H Eric is a fairly uncommon name. So I think that must be intentional. I hope so. Whenever I find stuff, here's like a point you made a while ago, Eric, was that you, you, you want to try to distinguish what's like meaningful from what's sort of just um, like window dressing as far right. as these are kind of references. My, my sense for whatever reason is always to just accept everything completely earnestly and just like read into it as much as possible until it makes sense or doesn't and, and just like overwhelms me. Um, and I don't know if that's very good scholarship, but it certainly makes playing the game more interesting for me. And so I, whenever I find stuff like that, I just sort of run with it and just like free associate. And that's like my whole MO really. Um, and I, I, I think to, to, to assume to make the statement that Eric is probably based on Eric Neumann or, you know, sure. Why not? Like that's yeah. gotta be the case. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, but yeah, I wanted to go ahead. Yeah. I was just, uh, it's, it's much more to be earnest about it. I think is a much healthier way to go through something like this. Okay, good. <laughs> I feel healthy. Like, I don't know. Irony has got its place. And okay. So here's one thing. When you mentioned Satan, I call him Satan. Uh, you're you're probably right be, about that. Yeah, I'm going to go French, with that. I, the, w- w- one thing that, that should be clear to your to to your listeners or our listeners is that we are from Louisville, Kentucky, but we don't we, we pronounce Louisville Louisville. 
So we <laughs> tend to like our accents tend to like we're not like the traditional southern accent. We just kind of just mush our words together. Like fill your mouth with peanut butter and try to talk, and that's how we talk here. Okay, we should. Okay, so what are you guys drinking right now? That was my other question before I get to Satan. Are you? Do you have your hard seltzer? Do you have your your peanut butter snack? What do oh, you? What so do you... The, the the hard seltzer was a one time thing. By the way, <laughs> <laughs> that was a one time thing. At the two uh, times, I, I had a lot of that left over. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's true. Uh, I, I, I I'm drinking Elijah Craig bourbon right now, but my glass is empty, so I'm trying to figure out a way to get away from the microphone for a second to refill. But oh. also, I have to work tomorrow, so we'll see. I have sleepy time tea. Nice. Oh, there you go. See, Eric's better about this than I am. Yeah, okay. I've got my pumpkin tea here, so we're on the same All wavelength, right. I think. Um, but I was going to ask about Satan. And so one of the big th- threads in your guys' discussions has been, like, is Satan secretly, like, evil mastermind behind everything? And yeah. Okay, so maybe it's a little bit of a of a facade that you guys are putting on to make the show entertaining. But still, like, it's... a pretty valid interpretation if you're looking at the game from a certain angle so where you're at now at the end of disc one and without going too much into disc two and whatnot um what what's your thought where, where do you stand on satan at this point it's been a whirlwind um <laughs> like i think you're right about it being a bit though like we, we definitely leaned into that but yeah go ahead eric well you know when we were younger we didn't we didn't necessarily know there is a twist coming with Satan, even though he was having those emperor conversations in what we call the JPEG room. <laughs> so, yeah. like, now watching him, knowing where that turn comes, where you've kind of got a really harsh lens on him, trying to examine everything that could be interpreted as a misdeed mm-hmm. and misleading. And sometimes it's pretty subtle, and then sometimes uh, he goes pretty hard, like in the Soylent Factory, when he just lets Faye and Ellie eat that stuff. I couldn't believe that, yeah. Yeah. Like that, I think, was probably the most egregious example. But there's others where you don't know if he's trying to let Faye be his own person or if he's conflicted. Like the conversation with Jesse before they leave Shavat kind mm-hmm. of gives credence to Saiten not necessarily knowing which way he's going to flip on this. Mm-hmm. And then toward the end of disc one, I don't know whether it was like a last second decision, but when he busts out Billy and, and uh, Bart to come rescue Faye, I don't know if he was going to go which way at that point. You know, like... The sense of, uh, Chris and I just talked about this, but when Faye is imprisoned in that cell and Saiten shows up, that was a deep sense of betrayal for me when I was younger. And I think I've just carried that with me since then. But also, Saiten's a really good party member, so it's kind of hard not to want to keep him around all the time. Oh, yeah, I think he's the best party member. He is. Yeah, He's got a sword. I mean, come on. I know. And I I think, I I, I don't know, maybe Eric, you can remember this. I, I feel like, at, at this point in time, when I was playing this game originally, Bushido Blade may have been a thing. I don't know if Ooh, it was out yet. Nice, yeah. Holy so, God. but I, for some reason, I had I had I had a heart a a pretty potent uh, feelings towards anybody who had any sort of like samurai leanings. So, uh, Bushido so Blade he, came he, out a year earlier. It came out about a, three weeks after Final Fantasy VII. Oh, okay, God. so yeah, I probably had pl- I, I bought the, I played that game probably. A, a, shortly after it was released so i probably had some sort of fondness for for samurais uh the samurai sort of tradition at that time and that's like spoiler alert but like one of our future episodes especially like uh, one of our our episode that is going to come out uh, that specifically i think it's during one of the gate sequences is when like yui gives saiten back his sword Mm -hmm. and tells him to sort of trust his 
she's I mean she doesn't outright say it, but she's telling him to like sort of trust his sword or like think about his honor or 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 act on that. And we I, we called that episode uh, or at least I have I don't know Eric if you've seen this on our spreadsheet, but that episode I'm going to title "Showing His Samurai Ass," which which <laughs> like at, at some point like Sutton decides that he's going to to lean towards like the honor of his sword or the, or his samurai or his Bushido. Mm-hmm. And in, in, instead of whatever nefarious deeds he was, he was set out to do originally from, from Emperor Kane. So I, I think that makes him a very, with maybe the exception of, of Krelly and the, 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 the most complex character in this game. Great point. Yes. I think he's a great foil for, uh, um, Krellian. and, um, and I have read, um, Childhood's End because of Xenogears. I went back and read that, and uh, I didn't like it that much. I, I thought it was okay as a book. Um, maybe it's better in translation in Japanese or something, but um, I wouldn't have been inspired by it personally. And like I said, I obviously I'm very different from the developers of the game because I'm not super into like robot anime and whatnot. Um, but I'm so glad that somebody out there took all of these disparate things, including the religious stuff and psychological and whatever, and mashed it together into this game because... Um, there's this kind of, yeah, this kind of brilliant thing that happens where these characters come to life within this awesome hodgepodge of a world, and they're so interesting. Like, they're such well-developed characters. I don't know if there's any RPG, especially from that era, because I, I haven't really played many lately, but there's nothing like it. I mean, the characters in other RPGs are are interesting and cool and all that, but they, they don't have anywhere near the depth for me uh, of the characters in this game. And, um, and Satan is a, a great example of that, um, just watching his arc and development. And to the point where, by the end, he, the spy for the Emperor, the guardian angel Solaris, is like the crucial um, you know, factor in, in bringing it down. And, and he sort of turns the Emperor, right? You have the Emperor, um, I, I can't remember if this is in disc, disc 2, sorry if it is, but he, uh, he like paralyzes the, uh, the orb elder guys um, and stops them from... Um, from doing something because he like trusts Satan so much. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We, we haven't got to that point yet, but we've gotten to the point to where there's a scene and it's, it's a very like star Wars esque scene where like Jesse is holding off Solaris guards, uh, as Saiten kind of shows up to help him destroy that fourth gate on yeah. Solaris towards the end of, end of disc one. Right. And he, and, and Saiten utters a line that says like, the emperor understands the situation, implying that like the emperor maybe was is not is perhaps not this, you know, the, 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 this this fascist overlord that he had, or that that we we were reading his him as up to mm-hmm. that point, and that he has some sort of, you know, some sort of conscience that that that, that he's trying to le- lean on, or at least giving, like trusting trusting fate to 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 Saiten and Faye in, in in that group instead of. Instead of trying to be this, you know, manipulator. Yeah, yeah, totally. I, I love the way that Satan double crosses and double double crosses, right? His party at that point to basically get them to the one place, as he says, where he can have that conversation with Id, right? Where Faye's going to be neutralized and yet, you know, um, physically accessible, right? So that he can yeah. talk to it. Yeah, I, I thought that was just so brilliant. And it's such a great foreshadow or foretaste of what disc two is going to be like where your character just sort of sits there and talks to you 
and I like I said, that's my favorite thing is just to like get to know these characters. So um, I, I love, I love, love, love Satan. And so I'm glad that you guys have come around on that one. I think he gets the benefit from kind of being Faye's co-pilot for most of the game. Like mm-hmm. we're, we haven't, my memories of Disc 2 have faded, but Rico and Billy, I think, are kind of given the short end of the stick and that they have oh, their yeah. arcs so far, but then they're kind of just pushed off to the side. And I'm sure once they get their respective Omni gears and then once the hammer plot concludes, there'll be some more, at least for, for Rico. But as of now, I'm, I've forgotten, and I'm wondering if those characters... Like, we talked about, when Bart got his Omnigear, there was, like, an additional round of Bart character development when we figured out about Fort Jasper in the Eye oh, of Nissan. Yeah. Was it the... the, the eye, was it the Eye of Jasper, the Eye of Nissan? I can't think the of Fatima it right now. The Fatima Jasper. That's it. Which That's is his eye. Yeah. My memory failed me. But, yeah, like, so I'm wondering if Billy and Rico get a similar second round of lore and story injections. Alas, alas. So this is... This is a great point you bring up. This is the downfall of Xeno characters. <laughs> there is not enough about some of the playable characters, and certainly not enough about um, the kind of exploration that you do in, in the world to like find out stuff about, say, like um, uh, Dominia, right? We hear about Dominia and her hometown and what happened to it, um, but we never get to explore it. We never get to go there, find out more. Um, and, and even with a major playable character like Billy or a, a slightly less major one like Rico, um, you know, they they never, you never do come back around to find out really much more about them, as far as I know. Um, and that's a shame. Like, the trade-off that you get, where you get a few characters developed in a, like, a way that's second to none, and then you have to sort of sacrifice these other characters um, to do it. It's, yeah, okay, so that's too bad, darn. Yeah, yeah but, that, that's a casualty of the scope, yeah. I think. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up Dominia. I really think that's an interesting character with what happened to her homeland and how she got persuaded to join the villainous side through Ramses, who kind of saw her as human and then her respective elements seeing them as human as well. Yeah. And it, uh, you know, if there there will never be a remake of this game, but if there was, you would expect them to get a more fleshed out side plot. So, yeah, I mean, I think that there's there's so much that people can do with imaginatively filling it out, that there's enough there there's just the right amount there, frankly, to be able to do that sort of thing if you love the game. And if you don't, then who cares, right? You, you wouldn't bother with it anyway. But, um, but yeah, I, I think that this game really um, does a brilliant job of leaving room. So again, if I'm going to go in an earnest read kind of way and assume that all of the flaws of this game could be seen as intentional in some respect, right? Well, what they do is they leave room for the reader to fill in. And no, of course the player, rather, right? I, I always think of it in that term. But but so, I mean, I don't think I could make that argument um, with an entirely uh, in, in entirely good faith, but but actually quite a bit. Like, it in that respect, it really closely resembles the, um, the epic poem, or whatever you want to call it, um, uh, Beowulf, right? Uh, because that poem is, is fragmentary in some ways. Um, it has allusions to lots of things that that are lost now it has this sort of general theme going on of <clears throat> you know good versus evil the classic thing um and and that's where so that's where my interest in replaying Zito gear started was because i was like seeing this weird probably almost certainly non-existent connection between these two disparate works of art and i was like i have to i have to investigate this um and so i i really wanted to make my read of Xenogears into like an epic poem. That's still my, my deep heartfelt desire, um, which I'm 
I'm procrastinating on by doing uh, by doing analysis instead. But uh, but it's preparatory, right? It's it's all it's all going to come together. Someday. Yeah, it'll all build toward one thing. It's <laughs> you said that like they left plenty of room to fill in the blanks, but then they also made the perfect works. Oh which, yeah. As God. far as I can tell, I'm only on page 24 of my read right now, my narration of that thing. But it's it it's a whole lot. Yeah, and I, I, I don't have even no know if Minya's that, touched on in that. <laughs> yeah, it's the Flickr uh, picture translation out there is, I'm glad that it exists. It's more work than I could ever do, but I don't think it's especially well localized. Yeah, that's fair. And, I mean, what more could you expect, really? Um, right, yeah, it's, unless you're going to pay someone. It's super interesting, though, that that, that that does exist, that there's fans out there so dedicated that they would do that. And, and in a way, I feel like that's, you know, part of what this game is about um, is that that sense of like, what's human potential? What what is it, and what's it for? I guess like, the um, I could see the developers of this game, you know, making something like that because they want to, you know, fully develop their world, and they didn't get the chance to in the in the form of the game. Um, but I just feel like. You know, it's it's so much more interesting to leave a lot of that stuff for the uh, for the player to kind of imagine. Though, I agree. Uh, I generally think in American media, over-explaining is a problem, and leaving some stuff to wonder about or to not unexplain, but to leave enough to make you think on your own is an undervalued kind of asset of storytelling. Uh, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, all right, so I wanted to. Okay, so Satan uh, and his kind of arc. His sword. Oh, there was one thing. That's what it was. Satan's sword. Did you guys ever find out what the characters are spelling out when he does some of his uh, his uh, elemental combos? Have oh, you had any question. luck with that? No, we haven't got that far yet. But I, we, we, we sort of wondered the same thing because Groff has this oh, move yeah. when he's fighting you on foot where he sort of does the... Uh, the four triangles plus X combo, the same one that Faye has, where he flies up and shoots a bunch of like a chi blasts out. Each of those sort of explode into a kanji, and we wondered aloud like what that what those say, but we 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 haven't we haven't heard Dang, anything okay. back. Yeah, I need I need somebody out there. Somebody has got to know like enough to to be able to translate that. Um, if they can do the entire perfect works, they can do a few. Yeah, kanji, absolutely. Right? It's um, funny okay. that those are Japanese characters, but when I think Ellie has some attacks that if she hits or misses, it literally says hit or miss in English on the screen in polygonal letters. Right. Oh, the, the moles. Yeah. The, moles. Yeah, the moles. Yeah, her earth attack. That's right. Gosh, that, man. I, I thought that I was, because I'm, my current replay is a, uh, I'm doing this on emulation, and when I first summoned the moles through that thing, I was like, oh, do I have a ROM hack or something? I don't know what the... I don't know what's going on. Like, I have no memories of that whatsoever. But uh, sure, why not? Yeah, I don't think I ever got that unlocked before. She's, um, you know, major spoiler, taken out of your party, right? And yeah. You, you can't play as her anymore. She is my other favorite character. Um, I think for obvious reasons, she's the love interest. You know, and in a, at a formative time in my life, I played this game, and I was like, wow, that's that's what love is like, right? That's like, you meet a girl in the forest, she almost shoots you in the face, and then you fall in love because you've had this destiny that's been intertwined since the dawn of time. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> and is and it, no, it, but, go ahead, yeah. I was going to say, isn't it sort of, unfo- I, I think we're starting to notice this now, and I, I, I'm not 100% sure how this plays out, but like, isn't it sort of 
unfortunate how Ellie becomes sort of like less of a character and more of a a input into the scenario of the plot later in the yeah. game. Yeah. It yeah, it's a real I mean and again there's there's stuff at the very end of the game that I think redeems that to an extent. Um but it is it's rough because she well um she is that counterpart, right? She's the one that um holds out the hand to Faye. And yeah. so once she's not there, he's really I mean, he's at his last uh last few I don't know what um steps or it's all to, it's all sort of this plan, right? It's 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 been talked about in that way from the beginning. Um and so when you get to that that point at which there's nothing more to explore, there's no more sort of narration or story to do, you just have to kind of you know, finish the game. Um, I think in a way that's, that's what it's like to, to lose Ellie. Um, so I feel like that's actually kind of a nice, um, what do you call it? Uh, representation or, or, uh, parallel mirroring or something of, of, of that feeling. Um, that's, it, it, it sort of, it sort of takes some, a, a little bit of gall for the, the, the developers of the game to rip a full-time party member out of your party like it doesn't happen very often usually if you've invested time in developing these characters then they don't you know you you, you have them through the duration of the game yeah. um and for la to like last for you know i, I don't know what the 85 90 percent of this game right. before she gets ripped away from you is maybe saying something i hadn't thought about it from that angle that's very interesting in our um, adult 30s life, I think for both Chris and I, Ellie, when Faye went to Solaris, prevented, presented an interesting vision of how someone of privilege can normalize fascism. Like yeah. when Ellie said that she, we were in the, the lower, I think the third, was it K block or somewhere? The lowest class of Solaris. And Ellie just kind of idly said that she took a field trip here when she yeah. was a kid to, you know, just observe how the lower class lives and how that just was like a normal thing. And how she was during the speech by Kane and Krellian, how she was just there, hip, like she b briefly reverted back to just being yeah. hypnotized by the normalcy of just what happens in Solaris. So she's so interesting in Solaris. She's like a different person there. And part of it, too, is um, so, yeah, when you get to her house and she like has this freak out about whether her mom is her mom or whether her mom was the uh, the servant that her dad rescued right right is that is that ever i mean a does it really matter i guess but also b is that ever established one way or the other like i don't i don't think that it is i don't know I don't, that there's I don't a strong that it, that evidence for it i don't i can't cite the dialogue but when her mother when medina was standing in front of ellie and hammer i think there was an implication there that it was like i'm your mother no matter what type uh -huh. thing uh -huh. but i don't know if that was cited on truth or no matter what ellie thinks and another thing, too, is that when, when, when Ellie and Faye first meet in the forest, when Ellie is sort of identifying with Faye about how they're kind of similar, Ellie sort of muses about the fact that she feels like maybe her true mother is a, is a, or excuse me, was a lamb, like what was somebody right. who was not a, a, a gazelle, for, uh, for lack of a better term. Yeah. So what I like about that is that it makes Ellie into this, on the one hand, right, she's extremely um, brought up into that that world of um, sort of we're the the elite, right. On the other hand, she's always had this kind of seed of doubt, and um, it seems to really come out um, pretty dramatically there. 
it is it is nicely knitted back together like her mother makes that great sacrifice um they they have great kind of reproachment before the end but um but yeah i i think there's there's a great process of simultaneously you know humanizing ellie making you like care about her and sympathize with her and then also making her kind of terrifying right um kind of a kind of a monster in her own way uh, so she parallels day really nicely in that respect actually uh, with his uh <laughs> with his sort of literal monster that comes out from time to time yeah 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 so the uh the end of solaris is not the end of our orbs our emperor or krellian right so all of the sort of big three the the masterminds who are there once we sort of take Satan out of the equation. Um, and so you guys haven't quite got to the point yet where those start to, you know, fight amongst themselves or whatever. I guess we should throw Miang back in there too, though, because um, she's still around. Um, what, what do you guys think of the way that uh, villains are kind of presented in general in this game and how we sort of see a lot of their side of the story? I think that, like... <laughs> It's interesting too because like this this sort of triangle of uh, of villains that you just brought up the the, the most interesting one of them or at least from a, an effective presentation standpoint is Groff. It's always Groff. Like he's oh, okay. the cool yeah. he's the coolest one to show up and he like ultimately we 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 learn that he is a sort of an agent he's simply an agent of chaos. Like he doesn't necessarily have a have this very complex plan the same kind of sort of scenario that 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 Krellian or the the the, the Gazel ministry or or Miang have but like he his presence like his ability to to show up and like demand the player's attention and demand the character's attention is I think uh. like I, 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 I thought about this a lot like I can't think of anybody that ever that, that, that ever can show up and demand as much of me as as as, as Groff does that's a great point. I can't believe I forgot about him in my litany of um, bad guys here. Well, he's a wrench, though, right? He's he's yeah. he's a wrench in the scenario. Like he he he's he's out to kill God, whereas most of the other characters are out to either revive God or ascend past God. Yeah, I always thought that the Gazelle Ministry was not necessarily the most deep, but kind of the most enigmatic and therefore interesting because at any given time, the player, if it's their first time, is only going to understand about 20% of what these eight blue and red technosphere <laughs> heads are saying. Yeah. So like that, we're to doing me a podcast it... and we, and we only, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I was just saying <laughs> we're, we're doing a podcast and uh, about these guys and we can only pretty much interpret like 20% 20 to 30% of what they're saying. Right. Well, yeah. yeah, like you don't know if they're weirdly prophetic and controlling or if they're just gossiping inside of their AI machine and they're just being left alone. Like there's no real indicator which which way they're lying until the game kind of proceeds toward the end of disc one. I think that is a really cool storytelling thing, too. Yeah, like say a lot of stuff that sounds important, but give no context for what it means at all. There's really there's. <laughs> There's a there, there's a slight precedent for this. Like I know Wesley, you said you're not familiar with Evangelion, but Evangelion has a sort of council that that mumbles sort of prophetic oh, cool. slash non-prophetic gibberish throughout the course of the thing, where the viewer is like, "Well, uh, this sounds important, but is it really important?" And and it, it almost feels like that the the Gazel Ministry is. Maybe not explicitly inspired by the Sele Council from Evangelion, but it, it certainly feels like it to me. 
Dude, yeah. Okay, so again, that's something I need to read a bit more about or check out at some point. Um, I think that the the council is also a they're they're a foil for your party as a whole, right? Like you you've been led to Solaris. They tell us, or Satan does, or someone. Because they need your bodies, right? They need the bodies of all of these people so that they can resurrect themselves um, after having lost theirs yeah. in some, you know, catastrophe. Uh, the, the strange thing, though, Roth. is yeah. The strange thing, though, is that they they they, they at, at some point, especially in the Kiss Love sequences, they tried to kill us. So it's like, we, yeah, that's we, odd. We 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 need your bodies, it's specifically like the the animus bodies. Like they need Bart, they need Billy, they need those other people, but like. They definitely decided that they did not need Faye, obviously. They did not need Rico, and they did not need Satan at some point because they tried to blow up the whole the whole city of Kislev when when we were there. Uh, slight plot issue there. Yeah, Maybe. I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> um, and and as for Graf, he is uh, he's a literal copy, or rather, Faye is part of a copy of him, right? He's he's one of Faye's previous lives that. Sort of split somehow, and yeah, I've looked at flow charts to understand that. Yeah, there's the. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's like, it, it, he's very interesting. We haven't really unpacked this in, in our conversations yet. We still have probably one more session of of, of unpacking uh, disc one before we, we we conclude. But like, the thing about Groff that that I think is the most interesting to me is like he is like I think maybe even somebody in Shavat says like late in disc one that like Groff. Or that, excuse me, that Faye is the second coming of Groff because I mean, and the implication there is that like, it is the second coming of Groff. So the thought to me at this point in time, and and maybe I'll maybe I'll change my mind by the time we get there, but like, the thought with me is that like Groff is the id of Lacan and id is the id of Faye, and like, but the the, the longer this lineage sort of goes out, like the the bet the the more powerful that sort of secondary existence becomes, I think, and that's why Faye, and excuse me, that's why Groff is so interested in unlocking this power of Faye because Faye, Faye's, Faye's uh, ultimate you know sort of battle spirit of of it is is the most powerful because he is the next sort of evolution of of what Lacan slash Groff was. Can you run that analogy by me one more time? The id and Lacan and Faye, how they work together. So, I, I guess a simpler way to say it is that like Groff is Lacan's id. Yeah. Okay. That's that's excellent. Yeah. When we were younger, Chris had a memorized like five hundred word speech about what all of this meant. Yeah. But <laughs> I, I'm not going to ask him to summon that right now. <laughs> no, that's a little I, too much. I, 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 I can't do that. That was uh, that, that that was reserved for AOL Instant Messenger away messages. If uh, if anybody out there is uh, is old enough to remember that stuff. Oh God, yeah, I wasted so much time on that. Maybe that's part of why I I avoid Twitter and stuff like that now. It's because I I have had your scars scars from AOL. Yeah, you're smarter than us. <laughs> no, but um, but okay. So in terms of um, the the way that Graf has sort of split off um i think in his timeline right in terms of where lacan was when that was about to happen if he had had a satan right if he had had someone looking out for him um maybe some of this could have been uh avoided i, I suppose is like one way to think about that um that relationship yeah um, it's, and i it's... think krellion like krellion seems to me to be that guy like to have been that guy uh, potentially at least but but the problem there I, I think 
just to run it out a little further, is like Krellian also, um, he's also under the spell of um, of the Ellie of that time, right? He he doesn't have a Yui. He doesn't have someone to hold on to his sword and look after his child, right? He um, he's alone in, in short. And so I want to spend a little bit of time here looking at Krellion, and he's for me the hardest one to pin down. So what do you guys make of of all that? Our exposure to Krellion, I don't know if it's necessarily complete in our current playthrough yet. I th- That's fair. What we've got for him so far is the only kind of strike at humanity that we've got at him is during the flashback with Lacan in Nissan, uh, while Ellie is zon- or while Faye is zoning out with um, Kane's speech, when it kind of paints him as someone who, I believe he's on the opposing side of Solaris at that time, and he yeah. is reading. He says three books a day. Is that what he one of his exact yeah, like quotes that. there? Yeah, and it's. Someone, you know, someone who's trying to educate themselves and do better and do better, but someone who's also receiving accusations of being exclusively interested in war. So I see him as going down the road of someone who gets obsessed with logic and then making a completely irrational decision because they think it's the only logical one. That's cool. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of critique of technology that goes, I mean, hand in hand with the absolute like exultation and the awesomeness of running around with a giant robot and blowing stuff up um and yeah and in his case it's primarily to do with um nanotechnology right that's the that's the sort of the crux is like where we're living things and artificial you know technology or whatever sort of are indistinguishable it's like uh, a synthesis mm-hmm, mm-hmm. another one of your sigigigies right Another Something one like that. Yeah, he, um, he he's the he's the one that's trying to sort of ascend beyond the. I, I, and, and like Eric said, we haven't got far enough to really unpack this yet. But it, it feels like Krillian might be the one that is the most interested in ascending beyond what the sort of. the the system beyond the system. Uh, we, we know. I mean, we we've been doing a little bit of work with the. Um, with the Xenogears Perfect Work stuff, and we we're becoming more familiar with like the Deus Resurrection system, which is sort of the system that was enacted to to create humanity in order to so that God could basically revive Himself. But Krellian somehow becomes privy to the fact that like there is a God beyond that, and yeah. and, he, and he might be the one, he might be the one that is that that is most privy to that at this point in time, at least through Excellent. Disc One. Yeah, so that's, I think, the clearest for me, even more so than the stuff about the Sijijis or however one actually says that word. I've never tried to say it before. But the um, the clearest thing about the Gnostic, you know, take on this whole thing is is that there's a god beyond the god, the Demiurge, right? And yeah. that, that's the true god, and that's utterly transcendent. But in this case, in Xenogears, they do a real interesting thing where... They need an explanation, I guess, for like where all this energy and power comes from. And so there's the, the Zohar modifier. And that is like the MacGuffin that somehow transmits infinite energy um, for human deployment or whatever. Yeah. And it was so, on a spaceship at some point. <laughs> it's on a spaceship right? and et cetera. One thing leads to another. And then we have the cutscene at the start of this game. Um, and OK, so but I think that that's got to be right in some like profound or maybe just very simple way like th- 
that whatever, you know, God we could possibly conceive of, you know, talk about worship even maybe, there has to be something even beyond that, which is like utterly, utterly transcendent. And so to me, a character like Krellian who, who would dare, who would, you know, conceive of trying to reach that is just fascinating. Like that's the ultimate sort of, um, I guess the ultimate like human potential in some sense, right, is to, to become aware of and to try to get in touch with, you know, this, this highest of all things. And I, I mean, that's like, that is basically what religion's about as far as, you know, like, I'm sure people have a lot of different opinions about that sort of thing. I don't really want to get into a big argument about it, but in a, in a sort of abstract way, does that make sense? Like, I feel like this game is essentially about um, not killing God, but, but worshiping or getting in touch with him. I, I do think there's some irony there with, I, I don't know what Krellian's grand plan is yet in our playthrough, but he's on this ascendant quest, but kind of doesn't have an especially great appreciation for the number of lives that he's ruining oh, or flat out eliminating on the way there. So you could, I don't know if that's a tragedy or if that's just part of the price you pay when you try to ascend to the next level, but it certainly puts some black marks on your record. That's totally the other, there. Yeah. The, the other thing that I think that we're starting to worry about in, in our interpretation of Krillian is that, like, he's eventually going to be reduced to the common denominator of, like, he's this villain doing these villainous things to people to get to a point just because, like, his girlfriend broke up with him at some point or in time, you know? <laughs> which is like, rough. yeah. Yeah, which is not, I mean, I mean, obviously that, 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 that that's a way, that, that's a thing that people do, but, like, for him to be this this overlord, you know, he 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 very literally takes his name from an overlord. Like for him to be reduced to that, like I'm worried that's going to happen in our sort of, you know, adult interpretation of him. And I guess we'll find that out. But no, yeah, there is that too. Yeah, you you make good points. You make good points. And I I think the ends means critique is um, on the face of it like indefensible. Yeah, I would agree. Like can't be truly um uh devout or or truly what um a lover of wisdom or whatever you want to call it right if he's if he's willing to and and really does do some really heinous things um and yeah that's i don't know i couldn't really make the devil's advocate argument against that um but that's also because i guess i don't know what that ultimate reality is like and, and maybe that's the one thing that could be said about that and I, I tremble to even, you know, make that claim at this point. But but to the other thing, yeah, uh, as far as, like, we need a motivation for why Krellian is doing all this stuff um, to fall on to, you know, something to do with uh, that that iteration of Ellie that was Sophia. I, yeah, I don't know how, how well that's going to hold up. I haven't quite got there yet. I'm, I'm almost at the end of the game. I'm going to confess, I have never actually beaten this game. I've never actually gotten to the end. I've watched the end credits and stuff like just on youtube or whatever um because i, I had to know but um and i've read you know read through it i've read all about it but but i'm really i don't know like like i said there's something in me that doesn't want to stop playing this game and so i just i just set it aside and never never finish the game um have you guys experienced that do you do you know what i mean uh, uh, I, 
Go ahead, Eric. Well, I think Chris and I both listened to a, a pod, the Waypoint podcast, where I remember one of the hosts who has since left the website, Danielle, I think refuses to watch the last three episodes or two episodes of Farscape because she never wanted it to end. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So the comfort and safety that knowing there's always more around the corner when you need it is like a a thing a lot of people tend to do when they have this sacred object they don't want to necessarily find an endpoint for. Nice. Oh, that I and had... the last dungeon's really hard, so... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had this weird experience when I originally played this was I was like... Full disclosure, like I, during my youth, I was trying to play like imported Dragon Ball Z games because there were no like localized Dragon Ball Z games. Uh, so awesome. there was this weird trick on the PS1 where like I was trying to like do this disc disc swapping thing where you had to like put in a a a, a US region disc and then swap it out at the right moment and 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 then flip the Japanese disc in there and then you could then you could play the Japanese game because yeah, you, you would bypass the. Yeah, so I, I I was doing that a lot back then, so I kind of messed up my PS One. So like my PS One would skip a lot. So I I my original playthrough, I got to the the the, the ending. I watched it, but it like during that final anime sequence, it skipped out, and I was oh. like, oh god. So Whoa. I had to go back and do it again. So I, I I feel like that moment was sort of ruined for me originally. So I'm hoping that when I get back there at this time, like I've I've been very. Like, you know, I obviously I sort of know how this, this game is going to end and, and, and sort of what those conversations are like at the end. But still, I want that like to re-experience it as 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 purely as possible. And, and I'm also the kind of person who's like, I'm always like, especially when it comes to video gaming, like with life, I'm like, OK, I'm cool with my normal boring life. But like with video games, I'm like, hey, I'm ready to go like check out the next thing so I can like in, in insert my my brain into the discourse or whatever. So like. Part of me is like really excited to get to the end of this game, and not only so we can talk about it and conclude the podcast, but then so we can like start the process of figuring out like what game we're going to give the uh, the quote unquote retrograde amnesia treatment to next. You know, like nice. th th those kind of things are exciting to me as well. So there's a uh, I guess there's a counterbalance going on with me right now personally. Hey Chris, so yeah, you, you know how Krellian tried to ascend to find a higher power and sacrificed a lot along the way. Do you think your ability to try to swap discs in your PS1 was ascending to find a higher power and you hey, made I... a great sacrifice that you didn't necessarily see coming? Well, I, yeah, well, maybe maybe that's true with both like the like re-experiencing the Xenogears ending like in real time as a as a 38 or. I guess probably by the time we'll be done, I'll be 38. So like as a 38 year old. So, but also like the other mode of ascendant of ascendance was like being Goku in Dragon Ball Z Legends in 1997. Right. Yeah, those games were great too, weren't they? Uh, Legends is good. I mean, we we, oh, we can I fight about that. Legendarily terrible. We, I'm sorry. Never mind. <laughs> we can fight about this on our own podcast. Okay. Yeah, I I look forward to hearing more about all of all of that good stuff. Of I really appreciate you guys making the time and and dropping a few, um, you know, spoilers for your own show, um, being willing to do that. And like I said, you know, I I would I would love to have people nearby to talk to. So I'm glad that I'm able to find people far away. Um, and it's been a delight. It's been awesome. I wanted to ask before I let you guys go. I know it's getting late there. I want to ask about Big Joe because he's <laughs> like among my favorite characters, among the weirdest things about this game, um, you know, aside from Choo Choo and all that, but Big Joe, what, 
what do you make of his whole uh, shtick, and, and what's he doing in this game? I was really glad in your Solaris uh, episode how you noted that Faze, or Big Joe's the only person that Faye can understand. Oh, God. Uh, I, I, I'm endlessly one... fascinated by the language thing there. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I'm not sure if it's occurred in our podcast yet, but Chris, didn't you make a really good connection between Big Joe and uh, Fist of the North Star? Well, yeah, I, I think that, that might have been like the first time we met Big Joe in Dazzle. I was like, he, he has a... He has a fist of, of the North Star vibe just because of the way he's his sort of he's got that protruding chin and the flamboyant sort of uh, uh, outfit, and he's he's just got a real like sort of I don't know if gross aesthetic is the right word, but he's got like sort of an accentuated aesthetic that like yeah. you would find in like a Ren and Stimpy cartoon or something, where like he's way more his his personality sort of juts out just by his appearance. I appreciate yeah. just always finding him in the worst places. In that invasion of uh, the Eto the Ethos HQ, Chris completely missed that he was in oh, a prison cell. Like I, I told him that I don't think that episode of ours is out yet, but I told him that on the podcast, and he couldn't believe that he, you know, it's Big Joe, this weirdo, and then the Shavat prisoner, who's a major plot point, just <laughs> sitting in that cell. Right. And I just I don't know of another game I've played where a character is so consistently in the last place you expect to see him, and I love it. Yeah. Yeah, he is. Um, he's a force of nature, Big Joe. Um, there's some really important stuff actually that you get much later, in um, in terms of Emeralda's like backstory. Yeah, um, yeah. There's little side quests about her, and Big Joe's there too. And of he's, course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, the last thing, the final final thing, favorite part of the game, like favorite place, favorite mm. character, favorite event. What's what's your favorite single thing, from Gears at this point. Upon replay, my favorite thing is actually the D-Block prison in Norchun. Wow. Which nice. is, it's a low point for a lot of people, but getting in there this time, for me, finally, like, phase disorientation and confusion mirrored my own. And the <laughs> game was moving at, like, a, a, pretty, a pretty good pace at that point, where you meet a new character, go to a new dungeon, have a climactic battle, but then you just kind of go off on this concentration camp prison town for, like, four or five hours... And that defied, like, video game norms that I was playing at the time. And it's just just the feeling of being in there with that song Invasion playing everywhere you go with a kind of ragtag community of a local bar and then just a bunch of prisoners and battlers. Like, I know that most of that are tropes borrowed from elsewhere, but at the time, I don't know, it was just a really original thing. And then looking back on it now, even with the sewers, which I think get a lot of unfair criticism, it's just a a sequence that stands out as being the most different thing of that game in that game. Yeah. Oh, and there's the battling. I mean, yeah, and yeah, the battle arena that there's an actual 1v1 two-player fighting game buried in there, and when Built you're younger, in. you don't know that it's that as hodgepodge cobbled together as it is, but yeah. like we, You can have a lot of fun, if you get into it, playing that game with another person. And then the whole battling community when you're there, too, about how the system of respect based on which rank you are Wait, is a really... I didn't know that was a two-player mode on oh, yeah. that. Yeah, if you go to the, I think it's the practice mode, you can set the other input. It's like AI stand, AI guard, and then one of them just says controller. Oh my gosh. So yeah, you can if you have another human being, you can play <laughs> that. And then the analog sticks work in there and then nowhere else in the game. Whoa. That's brilliant. So Eric stole my answer, and I, I actually knew he was going to steal my answer, So, but I just let him go with it because I, I, I feel the same way. I, 
I think part of the, the reason that we like the, the, the Kislev sequence so much is because we had so much fun talking about it. Because there's a lot of weird things that are introduced. Like, it was really fun to riff on, like, Hammer and, like, oh, yeah. Rico, Rico and everything like that. Like, all those characters were being introduced, and we sort of developed a... Uh, the D block doctor, sort of in, yeah, and the D block doctor. The, the the doctor is the the first one to 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 call Saiten on on his sort of, I guess, abandonment of like the human condition. Like she's the first <laughs> one to be like, hey, don't you know that you're supposed to be assigned to the 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 D block over there? You're supposed to be taking care of people. Like she was the first one to call him on on on, on his stuff, and that doesn't happen again until like. Until Ellie does like way yeah. later at the end of this one, so uh, he's dressed was, down by uh, two people in this whole game: Ellie and D Block Doctor. I, I think Eric. I think you you uh, amused about how you wish there was like an Animal Crossing analog for the D Block, where you, we yeah, could just live in the D Block and have a character who lives there and like kind of have fun with it. Yeah, make friends with um, everyone and make a life in D Block. Yeah, but um, I, I I'm gonna go off the um, off the beaten path here too for like some of my favorite like the the, the highs that that everybody has. You know, we have. I've talked about how much I, I love those Groth sequences, um, but uh, I really like, like, especially sort of about halfway through the game, halfway through disc one, when you're starting to the the game is starting to open up and you can kind of uh, go around on the on the Yggdrasil and, and and do things. I we I think this goes for both of us. We loved to be able to go into the uh, the Yggdrasil and talk up talk to the characters and see what kind of random pieces of dialogue that they had to say, especially Choo Choo, because Choo Choo's always got and until Choo Choo becomes a party member, she's always got something to say about the situation. So we had a lot of fun, like amusing about like what specifically like how, how did Choo Choo get her information and like wh- why is she ha- like does she have her own podcast like or does she have her con- connections like what's going on with Choo Choo like those things were were terrific um and, and also I I sort of really like some of the 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 whimsical things that happened like especially and then I I think I heard you on one of your podcasts, Wesley, said that you didn't really care for this, but like the the, the Shabbat sequence where like Maria is battling her father, but Choo Choo has to have a psychic connection to like understand what's going on, and then grows big. Oh my gosh! Yeah, just because is it, obviously it's like it's super off putting. It's not the right word, but it's it, it's super like out of, out of left field there. But like I. I love stuff like that. I love when like there's this sort of uh, uh, resi- or opposing factions of like darkness and despair versus like hope and and and, and wonder. And I think that 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 scene kind of wraps all that up. And and, and you know, especially reading through some of like those the, the interviews that were done during the uh, the 20th anniversary concert. I, I think Takahashi himself talks about how like. He knew that Masato Kato, who was one of the writers and scenario directors, was kind of off in left field, like trying to like put silly things in the game, and he was never really a fan of it. And oftentimes he would be shot down by the programmers, being like, "No, no, sir, we cannot put a roller coaster in Lahan Village. That's not going to work." Uh, and and knowing that he was the scenario designer for the whole Shabbat sequence, and Takahashi has this sort of dark and despair sort of. Uh, ominous plot that's playing out, and that thing to happen in the middle of it is just, I think, a a, a, a terrific thing to to both play and to, to 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 react to. No, that's that's well put. Yeah, I I love that there's like all these different cooks in the kitchen on this game because there's there's Takahashi, 
and his wife or you know partner or whatever they kind of headed it up but then there's also the guy from chrono trigger that's kato right and, yeah exactly and he throws in some chrono trigger stuff for no apparent reason like i i really do like shivat overall i think that's one of my favorite places in the game the Babel tower getting to shivat even i like that too but but like i said i think i think disc two the strangeness of putting in disc two and seeing what the game becomes at that point is actually maybe at this point my favorite thing about Xeno Gears. So I'm uh, I'm looking forward to delving into it in in more in exhaustive detail uh, over the next few months here. But um, but I've really enjoyed getting a, a chance to uh, talk with you guys. And uh, yeah, sure, did likewise. you have any final thoughts? Final things to throw out there? Uh, listen to our podcast. Heck yeah, I do. I do. I listen to every. I listen to the Thames episode. I call it Thames. Um, I love that place yeah. too. It's a great part uh, of the game. So okay, let, 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 let me let me turn your own podcast on you, Wesley. Like okay, so if you, you I don't know I don't know what your experience is with 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 JRPGs, but if you had to tell us to do another podcast on another sort of classic JRPG, what are we doing our podcast on? I guess my answer is gonna be kind of boring like i haven't played a lot of the more esoteric games so let me think one game that i really love if you guys haven't played it you might like playing it and thinking about it is um wild arms did you ever play wild arms i have experience i have experience with like starting that game but i never really got i I never got through it i bought a hard copy about a year ago does that count (laughs) you got it it doesn't sorry (laughs) you got to play it um that's that's if i'm gonna throw out like an interesting maybe possibly interesting um unexpected game that's the one i would go with i guess i right, really so, love that game yeah so in a couple of weeks or m- maybe soon maybe next time we meet eric we're, we're, we're gonna put a, a a list of games uh in, in a hat and we're gonna draw them out we're gonna talk about them and we're gonna narrow it down to five and then we're gonna put out that f- that list of five to to our patrons and then our patrons are gonna vote on what we're gonna do so uh in honor of of this uh, great conversation we will put wild arms in that hat yeah absolutely dude Great. I, yeah, I, I love, you know, the Final Fantasies. All those are great. Chrono Trigger, all that stuff. But, um, no, for me, you guys picked the best one right out of the gate. Xenogears stands head and shoulders. I mean, it's just the best, just by far. Um, but, yeah, it's been awesome. Um, thanks so much. Have a good Thank one. Thank you. Yeah, take care. Thanks for having us.